This morning we begin a new sermon series looking at stories of exile that we find throughout Scripture. Uh, The idea of exile, of being separated from your home, either by choice or by force, is something we see throughout our scripture. And it begins really right at the beginning, uh, back in Genesis. And so we're going to look at uh, the story of the fall, the story of humanity's rebellion, back in Genesis 3. And I'm actually going to read verses 8 to 24 of Genesis 3. And we read this. In the very beginning. This is immediately after uh, Adam and Eve have rebelled and have eaten of the fruit that God asked them not to. And we read this in Genesis 3, verse 8 to 24. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He shall bruise your head and you shall shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, and knowing good and evil, now he lest, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. In the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the 1930s, uh, actress Marlene Dietrich left Germany uh, to film movies in the United States. She, an act- she was an actress, that was where opportunity was, and so she went. As the Nazi party rose to power, power, she found herself so distressed by the actions of her people back home, she decided to never return. Reflecting on her decision, she bluntly declared, the Germans and I no longer speak the same language. Now, she didn't mean, she didn't mean 
that she now spoke English, but that she no longer shared the same values or ideals. She'd become an exile, separated from her native country and home, severed from her friends and family, uprooted from her original culture. Her self-imposed distance, however, is rare when we recognize that throughout history, exile exile was viewed as a fate worse than death. Separating you from everything and everyone that gave your life meaning, exile didn't just take your life, but your identity, placing individuals and entire nations into a state of ambiguous uncertainty. You didn't really belong anywhere. You belonged nowhere And the future tended to look bleak. For example, these are some famous people throughout history that have gone into exile. Benedict Arnold uh, never returned to America after betraying the Continental Army. He thought that choice was going to work out well for him, but it did not. He ended up in England for the rest of his life. And people actually didn't even like him there because he was a bit of a traitor. After a series of military defeats, Napoleon was forced into exile on the island of Elba, in 1813, which is just off the coast of Italy, which was a bad decision uh, because he just went right back and tried to conquer everybody again. And so they exiled him in 1815 on the island of St. Helena, St. Helena, which is way down off the coast of Africa, which was much better for everybody in Europe. Uh, in uh, 1302, uh, the poet Dante was isle- exiled from his hometown of Florence by political enemies, and he spent the rest of his life traveling Italy and writing poetry. Now, that sounds okay to us today, uh, but such an unsettled life at that time brought a lot more angst than relaxation. He wasn't vacationing. He was uh, a nomad. He couldn't live anywhere. He didn't have a home. John wrote Revelation on the island of Patmos, where he'd been exiled by the Roman Empire uh, during a time of persecution against believers. And if we look way back into uh, uh, the Bible, the people of God suffered a devastating exile when Babylon and Persia conquered and enslaved the nation of Israel. Exile, we see it all throughout uh, our history. The children of God, however, have always known, has always known, that exile can be more than a political or geographical reality. Sometimes we see this in different ways. You might realize that you're the only person who doesn't like that one band or show or movie that everybody else does. That you are uh, one Alabama fan in a sea of Georgia fans. Like Bob Petty back there. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, you know, other times these moments might be a little bit more pronounced. In the middle of a normal conversation, you suddenly realize that you have a, a different set of standards or understanding about the world than those around you. For believers, this happens a lot. When we read the news, we watch shows on television or listen to the radio, it's hard to ignore that we live in a society that often honors a completely different set of values than we do. This cultural exile makes us feel like strangers sometimes in our world, alike, but not the same. Our response to this can make us feel frustrated. It sometimes makes us want to fight. It sometimes makes us want to hide. Sometimes makes us want to despair. But this sense of exile runs deeper than feeling uncomfortable in an increasingly, you know, secular post-Christian society. If we're honest, we cannot shake the feeling that we don't belong here. 
Or at the very least, something about our world and our place in it has never felt quite right. All of us have this deep feeling that something is off, that we don't quite belong. Thankfully, Scripture confirms our suspicion that this world was originally designed to be different. Ever since Adam and Eve's banishment from the garden, humanity has stood on the outside of a door that separates us from our God and his kingdom. Way back in Genesis 3, we learn our first parents didn't just break a rule, but fractured existence itself. Now, we have to look at this as a sort of a contrast, a compare and contrast. What was it like before they did this, and what is it like now? What is it like, how, it, how has it been ever since? So before they listened to the deceiver and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve lived in a world defined by overwhelming Goodness. Uh, we talked about this uh, last year. We did a whole sermon series about what it means to be tov, to be good. But in the creation story of Genesis 1, every day ends with the Lord declaring what he made was good, or in the Hebrew, tov. Now, tov can mean good or pleasant or flourishing or things working in the way they were originally designed. In the beginning, God's creation embodied all of those meanings. At the same time. So when our God created the trees and the birds and the sky and water and land, even bugs, he said to each of them, he said, it is tov. This is good. You are, you are working in the way you're supposed to. Everything worked in the way that it was supposed to. It was good. It was pleasant. It was flourishing and growing. Everything was good and beautiful and worked in the way that he created everything to work. After humanity, the pinnacle of God's creation, God looks over everything he made, his entire universe, and he declares it all very tov. So very tov. That's like very good, good. Like good, 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 good. Connected to the creator, life expanded and grew, filling the entire universe with the goodness that he had commanded to, to, to grow and spread. Trees bore seeds, which grew into forests, which became environments for animals and birds, uh, and they grew into herds and flocks, and they created a world that didn't just exist, it thrived. But then, this is, the, this is the turning point, this is the hinge. Humanity rebelled, and everything fell apart. Once Adam and Eve disobeyed, the only rule God provided in this state of abundant life, the brokenness we still experience today, distorted our entire universe. In an escalating series of responses, Adam and Eve show how sin fatally impairs three different things. Uh, Impairs the tove that humanity had with God, with one another, and also the world. So first, it's important that we notice their desire to hide from God. Before they had sinned, they had walked with the Lord in the cool of the evening. This seemed to be something on their calendars. Right on their schedules. This was something that they did every night. And it was confusing when God showed up one night and he said, well, where are they? Why are they hiding? Before they had walked with the Lord in the cool of the evening, enjoying a connection that gave them purpose and life. But sin shattered this primary relationship, leaving them afraid of the God who had only blessed them and tragically aware that their disobedience had consequences beyond their control. 
When God banishes them, he gives them precisely what they want, a life where they define good and evil and decide what it means to flourish. Whenever we think about our current exile, if we feel like we don't belong in this world, we need to remember that we made the first move. We were not thrown out of paradise by an impulsive God with unpredictable moods, but ran from a good father who only wanted to bless us. Our first parents chose exile way back then, just like we choose exile every moment we listen to the sin within us, rather than accept the invitation of the father to return to him and walk like he walks. It's our choice. We hid and we still hide from our God. Second, the response to God's questions reveals how sin corrupts their relationships. Uh, It's almost humorous, okay? So this is almost funny. But Adam blames not just the woman as if she didn't have a name or was some inevitable complication, but but assigns responsibility to God himself. He declares the problem began with the woman you gave me. You gave this woman to be with me and look what she did. He shifts responsibility away from his own actions onto the goodness of God who created Eve so Adam wouldn't be alone. Confronted with the same question, Eve does something similar. She blames the serpent. She says, I don't know why the serpent's here, but look what it made me do. She makes herself a victim who had been unfairly deceived. Sin creates, doesn't just create separation between humanity and God, but also one another. Where they once had harmony, no problems, no issues, they now operate with hostility. Knowing this should help us when we see animosity in the world or experience it in our own lives. The breaking down of relationships is an effect of the sin within us. A corruption of what our God originally designed for human interaction. We are designed not for conflict, but peace. We are not designed to be frustrated with everyone around us, but uh, we are designed to help them, encourage them to become the person That God wants them to be just like they are supposed to encourage us in the same way. The relationships, uh, the brokenness of our relationships comes from within us, not from other people. Finally, the Lord outlines how their rebellion distorts the goodness God had originally woven into the fabric of creation. Through Eve, pain in childbirth would be introduced to women and their relationship with their husband would be thrown off kilter. Through Adam, uh, work would no longer bring joy but hardship. The earth itself, the universe, and the Hebrew, it says the ground would bear the effects of their sin and they would experience death. But those who had experienced only, for those who had only experienced uh, overwhelming, abundant life, this must have been not just disorienting but incomprehensible. Their entire world had changed. It had broken. In the end, God banishes humanity from the garden, sending them into exile to live as children who had forsaken their home. The entire history of humanity is haunted by the goodness that we lost. We know this. We feel this. And we still long for that goodness even now. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, the gentleman who wrote The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, 
um, wrote this. He said, there certainly was an Eden on this very unhappy earth. We all long for it. And we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most humane is still soaked with a sense of exile. Still soaked with the idea, the feeling that we have lost our home. But the sorrow we experience in our own exile, this restless dissatisfaction we have with this world also points to our hope. We were designed for something different. Our exile can end if we but have faith in Jesus. Paul uh, in Hebrews and the New Testament says that believers understand this world is broken, but better things are promised to come. And he says this in Hebrews 11, uh, these all died in faith, not, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. People who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, that they desired a better country, a heavenly one. C.S. Lewis said that our spiritual aching for home is only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country that we have never yet visited. God's plan to rescue his children and restore his world can be found even in these moments of initial judgment and banishment. So first, notice the compassion that God extends to Adam and Eve as they leave the garden. Before they depart their their home, Genesis 3.21 reveals the Lord God made for Adam and Eve uh, garments of skin and clothed them. Now think of this mercy. Think of the profound mercy shown in this action. The Lord, at this point, had every right to cancel the universe and start over. He could have created people less eager to disobey their God. But instead, he clothed his children's weakness as they left the garden. Even the first sin, which plunged the entire universe into ruin, could not reduce the depth of our God's love for his children. He crafted clothes for the two people responsible for the fall of our universe. That is profound, unlimited grace. And that same posture of love extends to all his children, including you and me. No matter what we have done or not done, our God's love, our God's love runs steady and deep, burning like the sun. Second, The defeat of sin and evil finds expression in the relationship between Eve's child and the serpent. The children of Eve uh, will always struggle against sin, but they are also designed to crush or bruise the head of the antagonist. It's a battle, but it's a battle that humanity is destined to win in Jesus. From the beginning, The goodness of God overcomes all things, even evil, even brokenness, even death. This promise is defined at the end of Genesis, where Joseph uh, describes the activity of God in his life in Genesis 50 to 20. He's talking to his brothers, and his brothers are the people who have sold him into slavery. They uh, treated him horribly. Uh, They were not good to him. And he says this to them. He says, you planned all of this for evil. 
but God planned it for good to save many. Joseph's words are strategically placed, summing up the entire story of God's people. God does not leave the world to its own devices. He said his creation is good at the beginning of the story. And at the end of Genesis, we see that God brings about his good purposes, even in the midst of deliberate human evil. That God can take what is evil in this world, what is broken in your life, And bring good from it. That is the power of our God. That he can take what is broken. When you feel defeated and on the floor. And he can lift you up. Even in exile. Our God still moves and works. For our benefit. And his glory. Church this promise extends to us still today. The grace we see in the beginning permeates the entire Bible, but finds its most visible expression in Jesus. Every miracle, parable, and conversation in the Gospels reveal that Jesus has come to open the door humanity shut behind them in Genesis and restore the goodness humanity had broken in their original rebellion. In John 10, uh, Jesus compares himself to a good shepherd who would lay down his life to protect his sheep. But he goes a step further and he proclaims that he is the door or the gate through which humanity might return to the Lord. You know, farmland at that time and still kind of today was divided by stone walls or natural barriers to keep herds of sheep or cattle in one place. So they wouldn't just wander around and get lost or hurt themselves. There's only one point usually of entrance and exit in a field. So for Jesus to say he was the gate meant he had come to open a way, to be the way for his children to return home. Even more powerfully, Jesus not only saves us from the consequences of sin, but restores the relationship between God and his people. Jesus recreates the goodness they'd lost so long ago. In their own lives, the goodness our Lord originally wove into the fabric of reality is not just a dream never to be realized until eternity. It's a promise of his active presence in our lives. In the beginning, we lost the goodness God desired to give his children. But in Jesus, the goodness begins to be restored in us. The goodness we lost begins to be restored through us. By the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, we are free to step into the original design of God's goodness for our world. And that means we change too. We're just we're no longer instruments of destruction or animosity, content to wander in a broken world, appalled or indifferent to the suffering that we see. We are the chosen representatives of God's grace. We are the ones who get to embody the goodness, the love of God in a broken world. We are the ones who get to help restore it. In Jesus, we find that our hope and purpose have been restored. We are called not just to experience the goodness of God in our own lives. We're called to share that goodness with others. And again, look back at the original story of Genesis, of creation. From the beginning, our purpose 
has been both to live into but also spread the goodness of our God in everything we do. Our Lord says in Genesis 1.28, we are designed to be fruitful and multiply. Our God commands us to be fruitful and multiply. That's not just talking about having children. The command doesn't end once we leave the garden. God wants every one of his children to multiply the goodness that he has already built into the world. The same command is repeated when Noah and his family find dry land after the flood. And it is echoed by Jesus and the Great Commission. So remember, church, remember that despite living in a world that so often does not feel like home, we are still called to experience his goodness and share it with everyone we meet. Even in exile, we are still God's children. He still calls us home. Amen.